All right, I come back again to 2 Peter chapter number 1. Now, you'll notice when I take a drink that I have pink water. Okay, this did not come from East Palestine, Ohio. I'm just <laughs> going to let you know that, okay? I have, a, I have a little bit of a metabolism issue, and so I've been adjusting my eating habits in the morning, and then I added a little bit of energy drink to the water. So I have some extra boost of vitamins and minerals, but it's not radioactive or anything like that. Uh, but that's why it's pink, and uh, it helps me with uh, my metabolism. And uh, usually, I, if I get up and I eat breakfast, I usually have a snack in between, and then I eat lunch, and then I usually have a snack in the afternoon, and then I eat dinner, and then I usually have a snack again um, in the evening. I, I've been that way. It used to be that I could do that, and the pounds would just go away. But now the pounds don't go away like they used to. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I keep my metabolism and my calories that I need and get rid of the excess weight. So it's a constant, constant battle. But it helps that we have a dog now because I get to walk the dog a little bit. And uh, that, that gives me an excuse to get outside and, and to uh, take a walk in the uh, Murdoch Park back there like we did a couple times this past week. Second Peter chapter number 1. Second Peter Chapter number one, I know we've gone back to this passage several times, but Second Peter 1 and verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I know that we have the teens in here and they've not been a part of this series. I won't go back and rehearse everything that we have covered so far. But just so uh, they have a little bit of an idea of where we're at. Uh, we have been looking at Bible basics for discipleship. And we could even use the term bibliology. And been looking at these Six words for understanding the Word of God. Revelation, God making Himself known to man. Inspiration, God's method for delivering His Word to man. And that's where we have been the last several weeks. We will begin to look at the preservation of the Word of God, God's protection of His Word, and then eventually we'll get into translation, the communication of God's Word into languages from the original languages. And then interpretation and illumination, those go hand in hand. The correct understanding of what God said, and then application. Obeying, living, and following God's truth. So, I know we'll take a little bit of a break uh, here. Uh, we'll, we'll have this week and next week, and then we'll take a little bit of a break. As Dan Clark series uh, on uh, science from a biblical uh, creation viewpoint. And then we'll resume after Easter with this series. But uh, this is what we have been studying the last several weeks. We'll finish up with canonicity this morning and then get into the preservation of the Word of God. But I think it's very important that we look at the warnings that God has given in His Word regarding adding to or taking away from the Word of God. We've established very clearly the internal and the external evidences for the 66 books of the Bible. We're not missing any books we're not to be waiting for some new revelation. I've mentioned in here the, the new apostolic reformation, which is a 
new recycled false teaching that men and women can receive new revelation from God that is not in the recorded word. And then that gives these men and women authority over even pastors of churches where they believe they can come in and they can dictate to local assemblies and say, we have received new revelation from the Lord about your church and you as a pastor and you as a congregation ought to or because they have supposedly received new revelation. Satan's been doing this from the, the, the days in the garden. He has been trying to deceive and trick and supplant the word of God and cast doubt on the word of God or even destroy the word of God. But we see very clearly in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2 that we are not to add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Here we are in the fifth book of the Bible, at the end of the Torah, the Pentateuch, we see this statement as Moses is preaching his last sermon to the children of Israel, do not add to or take away from the word of God. He has given them the law. It is clear that this is the inspired word of God. This is the very words of God, God breathed. Don't add to or take away from it. Deuteronomy 12, verse 32, What things soever I command you, observe to do it, thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. So another warning from Moses in Deuteronomy. Proverbs 30 and verse 6. So we see toward the beginning of the Bible, then we see toward the middle. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Not delivered thrice over, not delivered multiple times, not delivered over and over and over and over and over again, but the faith once delivered. Here we see a clear statement regarding the canonicity of Scripture, the faith. We've talked about the Apostles' Doctrine. There is a body of truth, and that is the declared, revealed, inspired Word of God, the God-breathed words of God. Hebrews 1 in verse number 2, did not have space on this slide uh, to put this verse here. Hebrews 1 in verse number 2. Oh, I went to the wrong place. In my, there we go. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. That's speaking of revelation of the word of God, the inspiration of God's word. He says, in time past... Now, verse number two, he says, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So there again, we see the canon of scripture. We see the written word of God declaring the living word of God, Jesus Christ. The written word of God is all about Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God, John 1. Okay? There is a new, okay, again, 
I try to keep up with these things, and I don't want to overwhelm us with some of these newfangled, they're not really not newfangled, they're old-fangled ideas. Old lies that get repackaged. Now there is a movement that says we should not worship the Bible because we are commanded only to worship God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. But the Bible is something different. Can you imagine now that there's this trying to take this surgical scalpel and trying now to divide the written word of God from the living word of God? The Bible can have errors. The Bible can have mistakes. The Bible is not inspired. That is a man's written book that God did a special work and made it pretty, pretty good and helpful for us. But really, we're just to focus on Jesus Christ. Now, wait a second here. Somebody help me out. What is wrong with that? How can you know God except through his word? Exactly. Yes. We, we don't worship the Bible, but we yep. hold it in reverence right. because it is God. Right. And yet in Psalms, I believe it's in Psalms, he has held his word above his name. So it's a great, great point what you're saying there. Galen. Exactly, exactly. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God points us to Jesus Christ, is all about Jesus Christ, reveals Jesus Christ. We wouldn't know Jesus Christ. We couldn't be saved and have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ if not for the word of God. But that is a new movement that's out there trying to take and say we're putting way too much emphasis on the word. We just need to love Jesus, right? Isn't that the thing? That's the big deal now? And we make Jesus in our own image. And then we love a Jesus that looks like us, acts like us, affirms everything that we want to do and we want to be. And that's what supposedly is the real Jesus, according to the world. Yes, uh, Kelly. Okay, I'll get to that. I don't mean to put you off for a month, but I will get to that. (laughs) I will. And I was wondering if I should even go there, but now you have opened that door. So you've opened up the can of worms. (laughs) We were at the reptile show yesterday at the fairgrounds, and there, there are snakes you open up. I mean, those people, unbelievable. This lady was walking around with this big old boa. Walking around, and people were, I mean, just open up that. I mean, they were just reaching in, grabbing snakes, and hold. I like, I like our snake, but I'm not quite that bold just to, anyway. You've opened up a can of worms, and I do want to get there. It's, that's a very important point, and I do want to get there, and I want to handle that as, as best I can. I'm afraid if I try to answer that now, it's going to create confusion, but it's a very good question. And I'll, I'll get to that. Did I see another? Did I see another? Yes, Edna. Yep. Exactly. You can't. Exactly right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 
Right. Right. We're just constantly redefining the terms. Yep. Yep. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. That's a great point. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very word of God spoke the universe into existence. I mean, these are, these are excellent points. I saw another hand. Star? Yeah, yeah. Very good point. Yes. Right. There's a real there's a real problem with with that and the way versions are translated, et cetera. And we'll and we'll get to that a little bit. That's a good good point. Good. Yes, uh, Clayton. By the way, this is um, Clayton living good, and uh, this is Sam's father-in-law. So Sam is on his best behavior today. <laughs> oh no, he's shaking his head. No, okay, it's too late for that. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, Clayton. Yes. Yes, that was the next verse. I just hadn't put it up there yet. Yes, yep. Thank you for that, though. I had it. See, I knew it was coming, so I already had it. <laughs> no, great point. So let's go ahead and read that. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. God sealed his word at the end of the book of Revelation. The 66 books of the Bible are complete. And we are not looking for another inspired word out there from somebody who claims to be receiving new revelation. We have the entire word of God right here. We're not missing anything. We're not lacking anything. We have the Word of God. In 2 Peter, I believe it's uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. We have right here in His Word everything we need for salvation and for living the Christian life. So why are we looking for something else? Yes, Jeff? Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, and it is finished speaks specifically to God's redemption plan, but it's speaking of the entire good news in a general sense, which is the entire word of God. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yes, Kelly and I think Hank, or is Kelly asking for Hank? <laughs> Uh-huh. So there is, there is that argument, but Revelation 22, okay, people make that argument, but Revelation 22 is the last book, of, it's the last chapter of the last book. John died roughly around A.D. 90, 95. So it's speaking of those inspired books fully and completely written and we can say that the book of Revelation is part of the inspired word of God, the canon. So therefore, it is speaking of all 66 books because the book of Revelation is one of those inspired books. So it's completing the chain. It is part of that, the faith, the apostles' doctrine, the faith once delivered unto the saints. So it's completing as a bookend, but it applies by the sheer fact that it is the inspired word of God, just like the other 65 books. So therefore, we must apply Revelation 22, 18 and 19 to all 66 books, because it's speaking of the inspired books, which again, we've spent the last several weeks looking at the canon in the internal and external evidences for, but again, it wasn't church councils that decided the early church decided. The early church recognized. I shouldn't even say decided. The early church recognized. Again, I come back to God gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to bear witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. Well, the Holy Spirit is going to recognize the word of God. The Holy Spirit is going to affirm the truth the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. So the Holy Spirit, early believers, and the early church recognized that these 66 books are the inspired word of God. As those New Testament letters were written and the early church was spreading them around, people recognized what was already true because the Holy Spirit bore witness. And then we can talk about the external evidences and we'll get into some more of the preservation of the word. Yes, Earl. Thank you. 
Yeah, and again, I go back to by AD 175, the early church recognized the 66 books of the Bible. The Old Testament was not in any question. It was really about the 27 books of the New Testament. But by AD 175, from these, and we could go all the way back if we wanted to, but we could go back to, um, and I went too far, there we go. We could go all the way back to these five principles, authoritative, prophetic, authentic, dynamic, received, used, and preserved. Christ himself put his character and his integrity on the line by saying the scriptures cannot be broken and spoke of the, the scriptures as the inspired word of God, Old Testament canon, awareness by the apostles. And then we could go through these, and I just basically took those same five and summarized them into four. And then we look at the early church fathers, Athanasius, a respected, highly regarded early church father who, by 367, is listing the same 27 books of the New Testament the church had recognized those. The Council of Carthage in 397 merely verified what had already been long accepted. I forget the guy who was the false teacher. I can't remember his name now. I can't remember his name. He was attacking the canon of the, of the, of the, of the Bible. So the Council of Carthage met to deal with this false teaching as there was this attack upon the canon of Scripture, and the Council of Carthage didn't decide The Council of Carthage just basically verified what was already long accepted as the 27 books of the New Testament in response to the the errors of this this false teacher. Yes, Hank? (laughs) I don't know. They're, they're, they're going to meet their end. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good, good point. And then we went through R.A. Tories, and I'm going to go back up here. Did I see one more hand? Jeff, yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly, just like we read in Second Peter 1, and also the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because they are spiritually discerned. And what kind of a God would we have if he could not 
give his word and preserve his word and protect his word for us today? What kind of a God would we have who would allow his word to be so corrupted that we'd be wandering around in darkness wondering, okay, I wonder what I should do today. I wonder what I should believe today. I wonder what is right and what is wrong, what is moral and what is immoral. What kind of a God would we serve if he had left his word of God in a jumbled mess for us to just kind of grope our way through the darkness and figure out? No, he made it very clear. God did not mumble when he spoke. And what he revealed, he protected and he preserved. So we have absolute confidence. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have translation issues that we will address, but we have the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit bears witness with that, because the spiritual man receives and uh, verifies that. Yes, bears witness. Yes, uh, Clayton. Yes. Correct. Correct. Yes. Every. Exactly. Beginning, middle, and last. Consistent all the way through. Exactly. So, this this comes to the point that we were just addressing. The preservation of the word of God. God promised that he would preserve his word. Okay. Did he tell us every detail of how? Did he tell us that in 1450, Gutenberg would develop the printing press and he would, he would print the first printed Bible on an actual printing press? And there's a copy of that at the Creation Museum, or at least there, were, there was. And did God tell us that he had inspired the Gutenberg printing press in 1450? No, he didn't tell us that. In Revelation 22 and verse 25, he didn't say, and thou shalt see Gutenberg in 1450 print. But he promised to preserve his word. He promised that. We cannot think that we are somehow, some way, missing something, or God has allowed his word to be so corrupted that we don't know what the Word of God says, or where the Word of God is, or how clearly we can interpret the Word of God to know specifically the meaning of the text that God intended, which is why I take my responsibility as a pastor so seriously. I am not a marketer. I am not a businessman. I did not get an MBA degree. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that, but I I get so tired of these pastors who spend more time doing business work. They'd rather be a businessman and a marketer than to explain and expound and interpret and preach and, and share the word of God. God called me to preach, and it's important for me to feed the congregation, to feed God's sheep. And I hold that response that responsibility very highly. Because I don't want to be held accountable before God for having mishandled the word of God or for having peddled it as some commodity. So we have the preserved word of God. We're not lacking. Now we have to be, God gave us a brain and he intended for us to use it. Wherever I used to say this, I know the kids at school got so tired of me saying it. But God gave us a brain to develop it and to use it. So everywhere that the Bible has gone, what has followed? Education. 
Why do we have such dumbing down of America in so many educational circles? Because we have pushed God out of the classroom. We have pushed God out of our homes. We have pushed God out of all these educational materials. Well, no wonder our kids are dumber than a box of rocks and we have to import brains. No wonder we're failing at fourth grade levels of math and science because we're too worried about changing their gender, which is impossible, because we're too busy handing out things that they shouldn't even be receiving and worried about books going into libraries that are explicit pornographic instead of having classical literature. And you just mentioned Civil War soldiers writing letters that are more educated than seniors in high school graduating and going to college. There are probably Civil War soldiers who wrote more educationally than some of those college kids that were at the Purdue game last night. I'm sorry, but I don't mean to be offensive, but we have lost education and the value of education because we've lost the Word of God. We've rejected the Word of God. We've pushed it aside. So all that being said, we have the promise of God that he will preserve his word. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. My spirit is that is upon thee, and my words which I have put on thy mouth shall not depart of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith Lord, from henceforth and forever. Isaiah 59, 21. All prophecies will be fulfilled. That's what Matthew 5, 18 is saying. Every single prophecy that God has declared in his word will be fulfilled down to the very jot and tittle. And we've talked about some of that already with historical prophecy and messianic prophecy. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And ultimately, how is the law and the prophecy fulfilled? It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we've been studying prophecy on Sunday nights, and we know there's a measure of that prophecy that still will be fulfilled, but it's promised in his word. Luke 16, 17, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Again, it's in the same vein as Matthew 5 and verse 18. And then Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So is it clear that God has promised to preserve his word? Yes. Oh, I didn't even, I'm sorry, I didn't finish the, the, uh, the slide there. All right, so now I don't want to get too academic here, but I do think it's important for us to see a, some of the details of how God preserved his word. There were in the Old Testament scribes who would take the time to write by hand the very words that God had revealed. So God, with his own hand, I know God is a spirit, and there's an anthropomorphism there, but God wrote on the very stone tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. There were scribes that then took the time. I believe Ezra was one of those scribes. And I know in the New Testament, the scribes are technically lawyers, and many of them got antagonistic toward toward Christ, but the ancient scribes of the Old Testament were literally taking the time to copy. Have you ever seen Hebrew and all the jots and tittles of those 
of that language. They took the time to meticulously copy. This is before the printing press. I have an app on my phone. Most of us on our cameras on our phone, we can take a PDF or at least change it into a PDF. We can scan with our phone. We can scan a document. And in, in, in Google, you can even, Google will ask you if you want to pull the text out of the picture. Unbelievable. I remember during COVID shutdown when we were trying to do online school, I had an app on my phone and I was changing the kids' homework assignments into PDFs and emailing them or, or posting them, uploading them to the, their teachers. They didn't have that. They would sit in a room. A man would stand up and he would read. And there would be a room full of scribes and they would be writing. And they so, we were so reverent of the Holy Scriptures that they would get to the word Yahweh and they would go and they would take a bath, come back, write the word Yahweh, and then go and take a bath and come back and finish. That's how reverent they were. Do we realize that the word Jehovah is actually a transliteration of the Hebrew Yahweh because they were so afraid of writing the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, they were so afraid of writing that irreverently that they actually began to transliterate into uh, uh, the, uh, the, the word Jehovah and taking those consonants and replacing and making those. And eventually we got the word Jehovah. It's more complicated than that. But that's how we got the word Jehovah is because the Greek, excuse me, the Hebrew scholars were so afraid, the Hebrew scribes were so afraid of mis- of writing the name of God irreverently, that they began to re- actually replace the consonants, and that's how we got the word Jehovah. Anyway, that's another piece of history. But the point is that the scribes were meticulously recording. And by, by the 6th century A.D., there became a family of Jews called the Masoretes. I think it was two brothers, Ben Shyam, and I forget the other, the other one, Ben somebody, Ben Asher, or I forget his name. But it was basically two brothers, and they, they were of the Masoretic family, and they made it their family duty to copy the Hebrew Scriptures. Okay? So, by 1516, 1517, Bomberg produced a rabbinic Bible. Now, you've got to remember, the Dead Sea Scrolls go all the way back to B.C., 100 B.C., the Septuagint matched up with the Hebrew Bible. The Bomberg Rabbinic Bible matched up with all of those Dead Sea Scrolls. The evidence is absolutely overwhelming for the accuracy of those scribes and the Masoretic family when those Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 19, I forget the, the year, 1960s, I believe. The copies that they went back to were accurate extremely accurate, showing how the Masoretes and the ancient scribes were meticulous in their detail of copying the Hebrew Scriptures. Jeff? Yes. Yes. Yes, I've heard, I've heard that before. Yeah, I've not found a source for that, but yes, I've heard that before. Yeah. What's that, Hank? 
Oh, yeah, right, right. Or that, that tape that you can put down that then gets all crinkled up. Yeah, right. Bomberg and then Ben Shyam produced another Hebrew Bible. And then Kittle produced Biblia Hebraica, 1906-1912. And then his third edition by Cayley. And then Stuttgart's Biblia Hebraica. So here we have consistent copies of the Hebrew text of the Old Testament. Okay, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me when I say this. Which, which, of these, which of these is inspired? It's a little bit of a trick question. Earl? The original, okay? The original that Moses wrote, that Isaiah wrote. Okay, if we're, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we will begin to believe in secondary inspiration or double inspiration or continuing inspiration. Baumberg, Kittle, Stuttgart would not claim inspiration. The original manuscripts were inspired. Those were the ones that were literally copied from the very mouth of God onto that papyrus, onto that animal skin or whatever, and then the meticulous copying by the ancient scribes and the various publishers verified by manuscript evidence, Dead Sea Scrolls being huge in seeing the accuracy, especially the Isaiah scroll, and the accuracy and the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there is 100% verified, authoritative, can I say any other adjectives, <laughs> confidence that we have the Old Testament as God revealed it to Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and David and Solomon. That's incredible. But that's the providential act of God. Is God able to do that? Sure he is. And he, it shows how God delights in using people like us, sinners like us, because he wants to use us in his service. He wants us to be used of him. He took an eight-year-old, we talked about Josiah, who as an eight-year-old became king, and by 16, he spreads revival throughout the land of Judah. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We talk about all the different people that God has used. God wants to use us. We've got to be willing. We've got to be available. We have to be faithful. We have to step out on faith. We have to trust. We have to obey. God preserved the Old Testament. By 200 B.C., the Septuagint, Now I forgot to put this in the notes, but the Roman numeral L. XX, capital L, capital X, capital X. That is often the symbol for the Septuagint. If you see capital L, XX, that is the symbol for the Septuagint. Does anybody know why? Know why? Roman numeral 70. Roman numeral 70. Earl? Yes. The number of scholars. And I know this is a little bit of tradition, okay, a little bit of tradition, but these 70 scholars supposedly all worked independently, and when they came together in their translation work, their 
translation into the Greek from the Hebrew was exactly the same. That's a little bit of tradition. But the point is, these 70 scribes, these 70 scholars came together, translated with incredible accuracy to the point that Christ and the apostles would quote from the Septuagint. And that would be the Greek language that God would use as they would quote from the Hebrew scriptures. They would be using the Greek translation, the Septuagint, in some of their quotes. They would use the wording. Does that not speak to the preservation of God's word in the providential way in which God, and it also speaks to the fact that God does allow man to produce accurate translations and is willing to use those accurate translations, the Septuagint being an example. Yes, Jeff. Sure. Right. Right, right. The Koine Greek became a, in a sense, a base language by which a lot of other languages would come out of. Right, right. And then you get to English, which is a conglomeration of all kinds of different things, right? <laughs> but now English has kind of become the, the trade language, the common language that a lot of people use, even if they use, even if their dialect is, is something different, they'll often use English as their common language. But good point. So then we talk about the Isaiah scroll, Jerome's Vulgate, and then the Gutenberg Bible. And we'll, we'll have to stop here, and then we'll, next week, Lord willing, we'll get into uh, the New Testament. Fascinating, the men that God used in the translation of the New Testament. But we have the Septuagint, we have the Isaiah scroll. Again, the accuracy compared, you have the Hebrew scriptures, the ancient scribes, you have the Septuagint, you have the Dead Sea scroll, Isaiah scroll in particular, all matching up with high accuracy. Okay, So we know that there was an accurate copy of the Hebrew scriptures passed down from generation to generation. And then we have Jerome's Vulgate. Now, Jerome was an extremely brilliant man. And he started a copy of the Hebrew, excuse me, a translation of the Hebrew into Latin in 382. He finally finished around 405 B.C. So he translated from the Hebrew and the Greek into Latin. Now, what era do we see ourselves getting into shortly after 405 B.C.? Middle Ages, Dark Ages, and what was the dominating religious system from 500 to roughly 1500, 1517, Protestant Reformation, Luther, what was the dominant religion? Catholicism, okay? So, yes, Clayton? Oh, sorry, thank you. Thank you for that. That should be, yes, thank you. That was my mistake. That should be A.D., you're correct. I apologize. Yes, that should be A.D. I'll have to fix that. Um, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, thank you. A.D., that should be A.D. So, what did the Catholic Church do with Jerome's Latin Vulgate? What did they do? 
they made it the standard for their sacramental system, particularly the Eucharist. And I'm not saying Jerome was, um, he capitulated. I'm not saying that he was part of the Catholic system. Okay, he died. Um, I forget the year he died. It might have been 405 or shortly thereafter. I can't remember what year um, Jerome died. But the Catholic Church then took that Latin Vulgate and they kept the people basically dumb and uneducated and illiterate. We call it the Dark Ages for more than one reason. And so people, as they generationally grew up, they would not know how to read the Latin. And there was no English Bible. There was no Bible in their language. That was part of the way the Catholic Church. Now, I'm not saying, again, not saying Jerome was a part of that system, though Jerome had vestiges of Catholicism, and Jerome, later in his life, he did capitulate a little bit to the Catholic Church. They put a lot of pressure on him. I can't remember the whole biography of Jerome. I can't remember what year he died. But he, in his Vulgate, he separated the Apocrypha from the 66 books of the Bible. He, he put the Apocrypha separate. Okay? But the Catholic Church became the dominant religious system, and they kept the people in darkness spiritually because the people couldn't read the Vulgate. They couldn't read the Latin. The Catholic Church is even to this day, I think the Pope just recently put some sort of decree out about Catholic churches not using the Latin Eucharist. But there are a lot of diehard traditional Catholics who still want to use the Latin. I think there's still vestiges of the Latin. I don't know for sure, but I would imagine that the Latin that they use is from Jerome's Vulgate. Now, did God use the Vulgate? Yes. Did it get hijacked in one sense by the Catholic Church to keep the people in darkness? Yes. But that wasn't God's fault. That was man's stubborn will. That was man's false religious system. There were true believers throughout the Middle Ages, throughout the Dark Ages. There were true believers who were resisting the Catholic Church. And we'll get to them as we get further along in our study. And some of them died They died trying to put the Bible into the hands of the common man in the English language that the people could read and study for themselves because the Catholic Church said what? You don't need to study the Bible. We'll tell you what the Bible says. And you realize there are Catholics still to this day who believe that same way? I only know the Bible based on what the Catholic Church tells me. They'll have a little bit of knowledge of the scripture that's used in some of their catechisms and some of their ceremonies, but they don't know the Bible. They never study it for themselves. They're told the Catholic Church interprets the Bible for you. Okay, we'll have to stop there. Any closing comments or question? Earl? Correct. Correct, yes. And we'll get to some more of that, Lord willing, willing, next week, and then come back um, probably in April before we really dive in even deeper on that. All right, let's close in prayer, and uh, then we'll get ready for the service to follow. Lord, we thank you for preserving your word for us. Lord, that we have 
the very word of God that we know, we trust, that we can live by, and we're not wandering around lost, trying to figure our way through life. You've revealed your word. You've given us all things to pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to be faithful, to stand upon the truth of the word of God, and to live it out. Bless now the service to follow, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. We'll get ready for the service to start in about 15 minutes.